You're listening to What's Up Digital Lending, the podcast that explores the exciting world of digital lending. We make a deep dive into the most important issues and talk to the leading minds of the ecosystem. Welcome, everyone. My guest today in this episode number two of What's Up Digital Lending is Clifford Tjok. He is the CEO with Loan Cost from Frankfurt in Germany. My name is Konstantin Fabricius and I am the host of this podcast. Loan Cost is a service provider for property secured financial products. In addition, Loan Cost enables institutional investors to enter the asset class real estate loans. It's a pleasure to have you here, Clifford. Welcome. Yeah, many thanks, Konstantin. Glad to be here on the podcast. Now, pay attention, please. The content of this podcast is expressly not to be considered investment advice, but is intended solely for your information. We do not assume any liability and will not share any profits. Clifford, I have already spoken a little bit about loan costs, but uh, firstly, we want to know more about you and your role with loan costs. May I ask you to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm the chief commercial officer at Loan Cost Group, covering sales strategy and financing. And um, I joined seven years ago, 2015. And uh, before that, I've been in banking and finance for 20 years primarily with large banks um, like Deutsche Bank and Citibank. Um, I was there in, in risk management and um, and then moved to the business side. I was at Helaba, Landesbank, um, Hessen Thüringen, and um, heading up uh, the syndications function at corporate finance and, um, and then had a stint back uh, into risk management uh, where I was uh, the chief credit officer at Talangs Asset Management. And that was my previous role before joining Loan Cost. Okay. Great, thank you. What exactly is Loan Cost doing? According to your website, you are a digital lending platform, you are servicing loans, and you are offering investments in residential real estate loans. Could you please elaborate a little bit more on these three fields of activity? Yeah, sure. We're doing three things, um, as you alluded to. We are a credit platform basically um, acting as, um, well, credit platform as a service. Okay, that's a, a big thing. And uh, as part of that, we also do residential mortgage loans, German residential mortgage loans, and um, have an asset base of 4 billion um, assets under servicing. That's the first thing. The second thing is we offer uh, backup services for other loan platforms and financing platforms. And that's actually the fastest growing uh, business that we have at this point. And so this is like a, a, a function where we um, step in when uh, the existing operational platform is no longer able uh, to uh, perform its uh, duties uh, due to insolvency, for example. And the third thing that we're doing is we're working for investors and for other creditors, working to enable them to get the money back in case that a loan uh, is no longer uh, getting repaid. Uh, so either that, so it's like what we call sub-performing loans, or if it's uh, totally defaulted, which we call non-performing loans. Right. So that's what we do. Okay. Thank you. 
Let's have a closer look on outsourcing. This thing, the outsourcing of loan processes, is not really a new issue. What is so appealing about loan costs? What distinguishes you from others in the market? Well, due to the fact that our group has been active in outsourcing and processing loans uh, for 23 years now for banks, insurers and, and fund structures, we have a wealth of know-how how to deal with outsourcing and uh, also with, with loans and claims management. I think that's a key thing that we can contribute also in further developing like uh, industry standards that we do actually uh, actively within the VDK and uh, in the BSK, Bundesverband Credit Servicing Ankauf and Verband der Credit Plattform. Okay, uh, just for the audience, VDK is uh, the Verband Deutscher Kreditplattformen, the Digital Lending Association in Berlin. Yes, um, and which areas should be handled in-house and where does it make sense to outsource processes? Interestingly, the the insurance have insurances um, have led uh, the way here, and um, if, if you compare it to like banks, banks do everything themselves in terms of production, credit analysis, reporting, and uh, everything that you need to manage a loan during the entire life cycle. And um, if you deploy an outsourcer or a servicer, basically, basically. Everything that is standardized can be outsourced. And uh, that is what the insurance companies are doing, for example. They are only interested in buying a product off the shelf, which could be like a consumer loan or like a mortgage loan. Whereas, uh, the, so basically they're prepared to pay for that. It's all in the price. And uh, banks think that they need to do it all themselves. So that's the um, the main reason. And One of the reasons that banks have like as a counter argument not to, to outsource is basically, look, um, it's a core process. There's like audits involved and this is, they need to do this on a, a regular basis. There's the big regulatory aspect um, to be considered. What we're saying in this case is everything can be handled um, by like a servicer. And um, obviously due to outsourcing regulation, you need to retain a specific set of uh, skills and of functions within the bank to be in a position uh, to manage the outsourcing, which is fine. And uh, we always deal with that. So what we do is we provide everything that the bank would need to be in a position to outsource. So you need like uh, uh, reports on an ongoing basis. There needs to be like um, uh, regular reviews with the bank and um, and that is all working well. And uh, the beauty of it is we take care of everything associated uh, with the outsourcing, i.e. Um, all regulatory compliance. We need to ensure that. Um, we take all audits and audits. There's quite a lot of audits, right? There's like the, the internal audit. There's the uh, external auditor that does their regular reviews on an, on an annual basis. And uh, there's the regulator himself, uh, which like pop in every now and then. So this is just quite a fair bit. And then you have additional audits from uh, the anti-money laundering side and a number of other bank, regulated uh, bank processes. 
So that's like um, something that people usually in, in from a bank side wouldn't see because they, they only benchmark with direct cost, which is like people cost for staff. But that's not all. And the other is like a huge, like massive Überbau, which people typically don't take into the equation. <laughs> Let's stick uh, to the regulatory aspect. Mm -hmm. In summer, our trade body adopted a branch standard on outsourcing. And what is your view on such industry-driven initiative? In contrast, especially to regulatory requirements. I think these initiatives are highly important because they are um, shaping um, like industry standards. And we've also contributed to that and uh, contributed our knowledge from existing other like uh, outsourcing projects and taking also into account bringing in our knowledge from the Uh, the outsourcing requirements that the regulator has both for banks and for insurances. And we think this is quite beneficial to have that here. And because I think the digital lending platform industry is not yet subject of the full-blown concept of the regulator. And meanwhile, to counter the argument that this is like unregulated, which it isn't, right? I think it is important to bring forward those standards. Yes, absolutely. Let's go to the investors field and uh, let's look a little bit closer on this. What you do, why should investors use your platform and invest in residential real estate loans? Yes, German residential mortgages are actually a, a very low risk asset class. And um, that meanwhile gives you a very decent return. I mean, market <laughs> interest rates have come come back um, like quite nicely. The investment in residential mortgages is uh, a good investment for two reasons. One is investors are in a position, we enable them the investment into like a, a countrywide diversified uh, loan portfolio that is highly granular because like, you're looking at average ticket sizes of 250,000. And uh, that is secured with um, a property that has an asset value. That's one. And the second is, if you compare it to the time before um, the U Ukraine war, Russian-Ukraine war, market interest rates have, have increased dramatically and are now um, anywhere between 3.3% and um, 4%. This is uh, for a 10-year uh, term loan and uh, for a 30-year term loan at LTV 80%. And um, in essence, it is a pretty boring investment with a, with a relatively solid, stable um, interest and uh, with ongoing repayments. Okay. And uh, what is specifically so appealing about loan costs? Well, we enable the access for investors mm -hmm. and not everyone, not every, if, if you are like um, a small institutional investor from the pension fund side or from the insurance side, you may not be hooked up with the originators in Germany. The origination platforms are the broker platforms. 
um, for residential mortgages and I'm talking about um, Interhip, I'm talking about Dr. Klein, I'm talking about Build House. And out of the entire residential mortgage universe, new business, which was last year 285 billion, that is like uh, enormous, 285 billion. And about a third is actually originated through the broker channels. Mm-hmm. So these accesses we we have, we're um, fully linked up with the brokers and are in a position to originate um, volume from the market mm-hmm. quite substantially. Okay. And which is uh, the largest group of investors? Can you tell us anything yes. about it? Yeah. I mean, the largest group at this point are institutional investors, which means it's banks, it's insurers, and it's fund managers. Right. Okay. And uh, do retail investors play any role? Up to now, retail investors have not uh, participated in that market because they just um, lacked um, the appropriate product um, to be able to invest through. We're actually working on that product and um, this is where the journey is headed for. Mm, okay. Because I think the retail market and the retail appetite for uh, a low-risk solidly performing and um, yield generating uh, credit product is there and uh, it's just a matter of how you how you bring it into the market mm. and can you tell us about the investment process how does it work typically what we originate for for institutional investors is a forward flow Mm-hmm. meaning there's no existing portfolio that you basically try to distribute among institutional investors but it's a, it's a it's a forward flow of newly originated residential mortgage loans and uh, it's fairly straightforward so what we do with institutional investors we agree on the underwriting parameters which basically include um, everything to do with um, credit quality, to do with um, the property, the assets that are going to be financed. Typically, you could like um, regionally diversify. And um, it's no big secret. But what you do in Germany is you look um, very strong to this is like uh, the old Western Germany part uh, plus Berlin and Leipzig. And um, these are like the, the, the regions where you would originate the mortgages from and um, on the basis of these underwriting pr- uh, parameters we originate uh, the mortgage loans through the uh, the broker platforms on a countrywide basis and um, institutional investors uh, would typically invest um, their allocation their allocating capital and um, so it's it's a specific uh, amount that they would be looking to to allocate and uh, to get from the market. And um, the way we, we draw down on the capital is uh, also fairly straightforward because within like a period of, of four weeks rolling, the next four to six weeks, um, it is uh, very good conceivable what the drawdown schedule would look like. And on that, that, on that basis, we'll call the capital. Okay. Overall, investors really care about performance and also whether they can allocate enough money in the targeted borrower segment. So how do you help investors to achieve these two investment goals? 
I mean, the volume question we discussed at uh, 285 billion, I believe that's been the peak um, of the, the market, what we saw last year. And also given the, the uh, market developments, the most recent market developments, the, the market um, has come down. Right. We don't know the, the, the number yet. We'll know it by, by, um, at the beginning of next year, but the market has always been there. So you could expect it to be like anywhere between two to 220 billion, which is large enough to get like uh, an investor commitment filled that investor commitments are typically, uh, it starts at two to 300 million and then goes up to depending on the investor size, obviously uh, to 800 million or even a billion uh, of, of per annum originated uh, loan volume, which is quite a lot. <laughs> And um, so that's one thing. The market is big enough. And uh, the other thing is, um, if you look at, it, it's very straightforward from a risk point of view. Um, you need to look at the borrower credit quality and you need to look at the property at the asset. And if these two things, you need to bring this together and to be able to originate um, loans. And if you have a competitive offering, there shouldn't be an issue in filling these orders. Right now, obviously, uh, we have a, uh, there's a market disruption, right? Everybody is affected by that. But um, the expectation, the market expectation is that uh, at some point the market will come back once prices have balanced out. And um, the, uh, and so the typical, the typical sizes, uh, as I said, uh, two to 230 billion per annum uh, will be back. Okay, that brings us to returns. Can you perhaps be a little bit more specific on returns? What can you tell us on this? Yeah, I already mentioned where the market rates are, right? So mm -hmm. that's no, no, no big surprise. Absolutely. And, um, and so the, the good thing is you always get what the market is, is offering right now. So uh, if you would have asked the question for um, like a year ago, Uh, market rates were around 1%, right? So that is difficult. That was difficult for, for investors to allocate capital. And these days, uh, obviously, uh, market interest rates have um, risen, but for all across all the asset classes. So, but for this particular one, I would say, if you look at, uh, we're talking net return now, right? Uh, the biggest cost typically is um, the broker commission. You need to pay the broker, obviously. Uh, they're doing a good job here. And this is something that you need to pay 1.5 to 2% upfront. And that's basically the, 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 the lion's share of the cost, right? And if you compare it to consumer loans, it's even higher than that. That's like the 3% to 4%. And, and then it depends whether you would annualize these costs over like the next 10 years, right? Or if you basically do it all into the first year and allocate it into the first year and have like a, a, a lesser, a lesser net return. If you look at the, the, the net return for, for German resi mortgages, um, I'd say from the second year, if you put it all into the first year, then the net return is anywhere between three and 3.7% uh, per annum, depending on uh, the term and uh, on the LTV. And that's a, I, I'd say that's a fairly decent net return for that kind of low risk asset class. And on top of that, uh, you get ongoing repayments so that investors can basically uh, think about 
uh, whether they would reinvest the uh, the repayment or invest into and uh, buy something else. Okay. You, you have mentioned uh, that uh, it is uh, all about a uh, low-risk asset class. Yes. That brings me mm -hmm. uh, to my next question. Um, uh, who performs uh, the credit risk management? Is there any rating? Who performs this? Right. So this is all about how to keep the default rate low here, right? And it's a mix of uh, several things. One thing is that uh, we stick to the underwriting policy and ensure that only solid credit quality is is originated. So that's one side of the equation. The other side is that all of the um, all of the borrowers have to accept that we can uh, foreclose immediately. That's a concept here. And plus we have the first ranking mortgage over the, the property, which actually ensures that we have immediate um, access uh, to be in a, in a position to, to uh, foreclose on the asset. That's one big block. And flanking, we have uh, processes that deal with missed payments and um, have a very, uh, we discussed that uh, uh, claims management at the beginning of our podcast and have a, a solid uh, dunning process for that. So whenever a loan is not getting repaid uh, or there's a there's a, a loan repayment rate missed installment and, and if the dunning process uh, does not result in uh, the, the loan, getting the loan back on track, um, then obviously we can terminate the loan. And um, right. And when that happens, then we can actually win a position to sell the property. And, and how you sell it in, in Germany is either through um, a freehand sale or uh, through a foreclosure, actual foreclosure at the court. And uh, with all of this, we have um, very relevant practical experience on a, on a countrywide level. And with the, um, the sales proceeds, the creditor is uh, in a position to repay the, um, the outstanding loan in part or, or total. And if the sales proceeds are not enough to um, repay the outstanding loan amount, then we can also foreclose into private assets of the client. And um, historically, we have uh, very good recovery rates as far as that is concerned. Can you tell us anything about the rates? Um, yes. And uh, as, especially uh, as you have already mentioned it, uh, what about uh, default rates yeah. uh, and... Yeah. Numbers. Well, as I said at the beginning, uh, German residential mortgages are a pretty boring asset class <laughs> um, yeah. because usually uh, loan-wise, there's not much action happening. There's only action happening when people move, right? Uh, they have a different address or, uh, you know, uh, or they're getting married and then there's a name change. The most spectacular um, developments are like uh, is divorce or unemployment. Okay, so the whole asset class is fairly boring. We have looked at historical default rates, and over the last um, 30 years, actually, uh, expected losses have been anywhere between um, 0.04 and 0.07 which actually is four to seven basis points per annum. 
And in portfolios that are managed by us, the actual losses are lower than that. And uh, to give you like a proxy in, in rating, uh, S&P rating terms, that would be like a, a anywhere like a double A or a single A rating. Okay, um, you, you have already uh, elaborated on how you um, manage uh, defaults and distressed loans. What uh, I would like to know is how long uh, investors would have to wait until they get their money back. Can you say anything about it? Uh, do, the, do we talk about days or no, weeks? In the regular or, course of business the, or yes, what? in the regular course regular of business. Regular course of business. Yes. Oh, money back. Well, it depends on the structure of the funding, right? Mm -hmm. And as I said, if you were to originate a forward flow portfolio of say 200 million, you would get repayments on an, on a regular basis. So this is not bullet, right? Mm -hmm. So repayments are depending on the repayment rate between 1% and up to 4%, for example. So you would like um, get after 10 years, you'd already have 40% back of your initial um, exposure. Mm -hmm. But as you have mentioned, the regular course, what about the irregular course? Well, in, in case it, of... That's a good question. And given that we have a very stable legal system in Germany, um, these all of these topics are highly uh, transparent and uh, can be planned uh, ahead. So depending on the, um, the, the individual court you have to go to, it doesn't take you more than two years. I mean, if you have to go through the foreclosure route, to get your money back um, if it's like outstanding. And if we compare that to like Southern European countries, uh, it could take longer than that. And in Italy, it also depends on the individual court, but this is a process that can take up to 10 years in Italy. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. One thing we have learned on the Consumer Finance Summit in Cologne that we organized in October um, together with uh, two um, institutional investors was that uh, institutional investors are very much interested in how originators deal with a case they fall into insolvency. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about this? Hmm. I mean, that that is pretty spot on. That I guess. Well, specifically now in view of loan costs. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But let me um, look at this from a backup servicing point of view. And this is what you mentioned, an existing operational platform becoming unable to, to perform its duties due to insolvency, yes, for example, yes. um, is something, is probably the, the reason why the backup servicing that we offer is um, one of the fastest growing areas at this, at this point in time. We do this, I mean, we're covering um, consumer loans, we're covering uh, other financing platforms and uh, even um, financing lease um, structures to do that because the um, when you have like uh, money outstanding, then obviously all of your borrowers expect you to get the money back <laughs> for them. <laughs> and that's a key task. Obviously, the same holds true for us. I mean... Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. This was very interesting. Uh, your view on all these uh, specific questions regarding the investor's perspective. Let's uh, now change our view a little bit and look uh, at the horizon. Um, 
Let's start with a very important question, which is about uh, the increasing risks such as uh, the, the Russian aggression, increasing energy costs and interest rates uh, that increase and um, the increasing inflation. How does all this affect, from your point of view, digital lending as an asset class? Well, first of all, I mean, that's a that's that that's a crystal ball question, right? <laughs> and I mean, we looked at this and then obviously we're shaping our view on the back of past experience and um, can come up with like expectations that we have. So when we look at Corona, right? Uh, let's start before that, right? When we look at Corona, the German uh, loan industry has basically shown um, to be fairly resilient much to the surprise of everyone, but probably with hindsight, the government uh, aid programs for funding have uh, they had their fair share to buffer the uh, effects of the crisis. Well, now the situation is, is totally different, right? Because we have like a, a very difficult uh, mix of uh, risk factors like uh, that, that are per se already uh, may like show like uh, a real impact in the in the loan industry so we have like the well this is still post covid effects that we have we have um, disrupted supply chains uh, we have the war in europe that's happening and we have the massive um, increase in in energy prices uh, coupled with a high inflation as well as with the uh, very fast increase in market interest rates in the eurozone so what we've done within the BKS, Bundesverband uh, uh, Credit Servicing and Ankauf, the, uh, the German Association for Loan Servicing and uh, Loan Purchasing, that uh, association has been around for 15 years and uh, we've, uh, we're a founding member. And um, each year we actually survey the German bank's risk managers. Okay, And we call this NPL barometer. Right. So this is like uh, one of the key features about the expectations of um, the risk managers um, on NPL. And when I look, I've, I've got some figures for you here. Right? Okay. Yeah. So when I Let's look at when I look at this, what the expectation is for next year, the expectation for next year in consumer loans is 3.4 percent NPL ratio. This is up from 2.1 percent um, in the first quarter of, of this year. 2022. Residential mortgage loans, the expectation is 1.9% NPL ratio. And this is up from um, 0.8% in the first quarter of this year. And then um, we have commercial real estate loans at 3.1% NPL ratio. And this is up from 2.2% in the first quarter of this year. And then we have the SME loans. SME loans, which is like the core um, financing in Germany, That is, uh, the expectation is 3.7% NPL ratio for next year. And that is coming up from 2.7% in the first quarter of this year. And the historical uh, figures I just gave you are from the, uh, the IBA and, uh, or Shufa. So, and that is quite interesting. When we looked at those numbers uh, recently, we saw that the estimates for NPL ratio were actually too high for this year. It obviously, everybody was still under the uh, Corona shock impression and was expecting much higher um, default rates, but that didn't materialize. 
So the question is also for us, are these NPL ratios going to uh, materialize and show next year? So it always helps. So how is next year uh, going to be for the loan industry? Two weeks back, the, the economic expectation and prognosis for 2023 was published by, by uh, Helaba's uh, chief economist, uh, Gertrud Traut, and she got three scenarios there, right? Um, the first is you actually walking alongside the peak uh, of the mountain, which it basically is like a um, recession with um, medium-type effects. That's like a 60% probability. And this, the second scenario is like a crash, which is a, a severe recession, and that is like a 30% probability. And uh, the third scenario is like you do like a family excursion, uh, which basically means there's no big change happening, right? And that's got a 10% um, probability. So net-net, um, the expectation is that there's a 90% probability that we're going to have a recession next year, right? And this is a view that uh, the, the government also takes. And we're talking on a regular basis with international investors. And one of the uh, larger Italian investors um, actually expects in next year a severe recession at the beginning. And then in the second um, half of the year, it's difficult to do the timing on that, a shift into a more mild recession. I was, uh, I personally was highly impressed um, to see the, uh, what the impact was from the governmental um, aid packages for Corona and that they really um, must have um, had a dampening effect um, of the Corona pandemic for the, the German loan industry. And because the, the actual, the, the current inflation is in the first place an increase in uh, gas and electricity prices, it could be that the package that was um, uh, enacted by the government uh, is going to have a similar dampening effect for the loan industry, but we will see. And um, should there be more sub-performing or non-performing loans um, next year, As a platform, we're ready for it. Okay. Thank you very much for all the important uh, details. Against this backdrop, please let's once again have a closer look on digital lending as an emerging asset class. This phenomenon popped up after the financial crisis, as we know, primarily. There are some stakeholders that already had operated before, but uh, we leave them uh, Away right now. And now we have seen this uh, interest rate anomaly uh, on the markets for more than a decade. Now things, as we have elaborated on, uh, things have changed uh, with a turnaround in interest rates. What does all this mean uh, from a very general perspective for the digital lending market? That is a very good question. I see digital lending as an alternative, has created like an alternative to the classical bank market. And I think the digital lending market is, you basically can no longer think loan industry without digital lending platforms. Uh, digital lending platforms have contributed to like the overall loan product becoming more accessible to a wider community in the market and be it because of prior inefficient processes with banks or be it that there has been no offer 
um, before that. And um, so clearly uh, it's contributed to like an innovation in credit supply. So that's uh, the main reason for digital lending to be obviously has become part of the, the loan industry. And now there's like, it, it has evolved into like a, a coexistence. So they're actually they're existing side by side, or even you, you take, you have like banks uh, that are investing in digital lending platforms or that use digital lending platforms as an additional sourcing channel or as a channel to basically use it as a channel to, to like divert um, client inquiries into those platforms. So I think it's here to stay. Okay. Definitely. Good news. <laughs> My very last question for today uh, brings me uh, to uh, uh, the current uh, funding problems mm -hmm. of uh, fintechs. Uh, this is um, heavily discussed in newspapers and conferences uh, between stakeholders and especially uh, in our association as well. It's a current uh, problem. And uh, what do you think about the future landscape of uh, digital lending in Europe, uh, especially in view of the funding problems uh, that emerged? And where do you see uh, the ecosystem in one year from now? Right. I mean, that's another crystal ball question. <laughs> and yeah. The last um, one for today. I'll, I'll, I'll try that one. From a funding point of view for um, for digital lending platforms, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking here about the, the equity funding. I mean, that's like an investor case. Um, but if you look at like uh, the way like a forward flow is funded, uh, you always have two options, right? The first is uh, you, you do it through private capital, which is like private debt, or you do it through public debt. And public debt is like the option to go through like uh, the capital market and uh, issue your securitization program. Now that market is for the time being um, closed, right? So that's not an option. So the private debt market becomes more important, access to private capital, which means, and then obviously the question is, um, are you going to get funding next year? The answer is difficult, but if you have like a business model that is convincing and um, is also resilient, um, well, that's a bit of a, that, that's an ongoing kind of theme, right? That is resilient even in the times of crisis where you can actually demonstrate um, that you have the default rates under control and have good recoveries and uh, can actually deal with a slight, um, like, performance exceptions in the loans, uh, then you will be in a position to still find investors for the, the forward flow. And on top of that, if you have like, a, if you have like a topic that is like ESG compatible, we haven't brought that up yet, but ESG is very important, the environmental, social and um, governance conformity. And um, if you have that, um, that is uh, like a, uh, these are like all very good prerequisites um, to have a successful funding next year. Okay. Thank you very much for this outlook. And uh, well, thank you very much, Clifford, for your very valuable insights and for your time. Yeah. Thanks very much, Konstantin. Much appreciate to be here on the podcast. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode as well. 
please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on LinkedIn so that you will never miss our podcast. Stay safe and sound and see you soon. Thank you.